You know, the effectiveness of the church is directly connected to its leadership. Uh, If you have leaders who preach and teach the word of God well, if you have leaders who are willing to pour out to disciple their members, if you have leaders who will discipline when discipline is needed and encourage when encouragement is needed, then the church will naturally flourish. You know, the the Bible says that the church is an institution made by God. That it has a very special place because it is an institution that has the power to penetrate the darkness of this world. That it is one of the very few things where if Christians come together, are able to speak into the world like no other institution can. And it is a power given by God. What we also know is that this power that God has given the church, it can at many times grow or disappear with its leadership. That the leadership is godly. If the leadership loves the Lord, if the leadership is willing to pour out, then the church will do a more effective job, then the church will really grow in how it can speak to and minister to those who are lost. And yet at the same time, what we also know is that for every godly leader, there are ungodly leaders as well. And that it becomes so dangerous because when you have an ungodly leader who publicly sins, those are the people who can end up leading people further away from the church. Leadership is connected to the effectiveness of the church. You see, what we know is that the church is not a simple democracy, that anyone who walks into these doors is somehow now a leader of the church. No, that's not not how it works. What we also know is that the church is not a dictatorship, that one person, one pastor, one elder is the head over everything else. No, that's not how the church works. Because what we believe that the church is is that it is ruled by God. It is a theocracy. That God is the overall ruler, visionary, leader of this church. And yet what he does is he assigns certain men to be able to lead our church in terms of vision, direction, preaching, and teaching. And those men are called elders. Another word for elder is simply pastor or shepherd. And so you guys, if you guys have ever heard the term a board of elders or a council of elders, all that means, you can use it interchangeably with pastor. You see, Paul, he talks about leadership here, and he's talking to Timothy here because something had happened in the church of Ephesus. Everything, for the most part, seemed like it was going well because what we know is that the church of Ephesus, it was founded by Paul. And so we know that in the beginning, it must have been pretty strong. It must have been doing okay. But then after a while, Paul left to plant other churches. And as Paul had left, he looks at the church of Ephesus and sees that even though it had a good foundation, there were cracks beginning to form. And those cracks that were beginning to form, it was in its leadership. Because in chapter 1, Paul immediately addresses it to Timothy. He says, look, there are leaders within the church that are preaching a false gospel. 
And what they're saying is that in order to believe in Jesus Christ, in order to be saved, you have to come from a certain lineage. You have to be born part of a certain family. And if you're not, then you cannot be saved. And so what ended up happening is that in the church of Ephesus, there are two groups of people beginning to form. The first group were people who were prideful because they came from that family. And so they said, yeah, I'm saved. I don't really need to do too much. So guess what? I'm good. And yet on the other side is this other group of people who desire to serve the Lord, who desire to worship God, who desire to believe in Jesus Christ. And yet because of what these leaders were saying, they lost hope. And said, okay, Jesus Christ doesn't want me. I want him, but he doesn't want me. And so Paul is furious. And so he writes to Timothy saying, look, this church is rotten because of its leadership. I need you to fix it. And so what we see is in chapter 3, he talks about the qualifications of elders. This is how you should choose an elder. This is what he should be like. This is his exemplary status. This is how he should model after, the, after leadership and, and how he should look in front of the church. Chapter 4, it talks about how he should minister, his role within the church, how he should preach, how he should teach, how he should minister and those types of things. And in chapter 5, what we read here is not the qualification is not the role, but it's how the church should treat its elders. And you see, there are three things that Paul tells Timothy that the church should do. First is that elders should be honored. Second is that elders should be protected. And third, elders should be chosen. Verse 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. You see, elders are responsible for a lot of different things, but they're most responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church members and the direction of the church vision. They are called to preach and teach they are called to minister and to care for. They are called to oversee the overall vision of the church and where it should go. The church specifically is called to appoint its elders to rule and to lead. Now the question is, what does it mean to rule and to lead? How are they supposed to do that? Is it going to be through their personality? Is it through the elders' charisma? Is it through how they listen to the whims and the, and the words of advice from the congregation? No. The strength and authority of an elder comes directly from their spiritual maturity in their relationship with God and in their knowledge of the Bible. That's it. The reason why you can follow after an elder, the reason why you are willing to listen to a pastor is because you believe that the words that they are teaching, the words that they are preaching, the advice that they are giving is not from themselves or from the world or from their experience, but is from God. That you trust in their character, you trust in their integrity, and you trust that they know the Bible and have a relationship with God, and that when they are speaking to you, they are speaking straight from the Bible, that their source is found in the Word of God. That's where the authority of an elder comes from. See, these are the men that Paul proclaims should be considered worthy of double honor. Now, the word honor, it's really simple. It's a word that you guys know, I know. It's a word that means regard or respect. 
Paul says that there is a type of honor that should be given to elders. And there's a type of honor that should be given to them simply for their position and what they are doing. That they are placed within your life because God has placed them there for a reason. That if you are a member here, that if you are part of this church, if you call this church your family, then the elder that is, in, that is overseeing you, God has placed them there for a reason, so give them honor for that. But not only that, what we see in this verse is that there are elders who do their work well, and they should be given double honor. Now, when I first read that or thought about that, I thought, wasn't that like kind of obvious? Like, shouldn't every elder be kind of doing their work well? Shouldn't every pastor really be doing their work well? Should, why, is, why are some pastors kind of being pointed out here? And I think what we can kind of see from this passage is that there are some pastors who don't do their work well. There are some pastors who simply phone it in. There are some elders who only do the very bare minimum. And so Paul is trying to separate those people and saying, look, there are elders, and yes, you should give them honor simply for the position that they are in, because even if they are simply doing that work, they have been placed in your life for a reason, and so honor that. And yet at the same time, there are elders, there are pastors who are working and sweating and giving everything for you, and those people should be given double honor. Paul, you know, scholars say that maybe one of the reasons that Paul is pointing this out in this specific book is because in the church of Ephesus, there were pastors like that. There were elders who were like that. That there was a group that was being divided. It wasn't just the congregation being divided. It was the leadership also. That there are those who are passionate about God, who worship the Lord, who desire to grow in wisdom and maturity, who are striving towards that way to serve their members, and yet there's also a group of leaders who are just phoning it in, who are just doing the bare minimum. And so Paul says, look, give them honor, yes. They're in charge of you, yes. But at the same time, those who are doing exceedingly well, those who are giving everything to you, recognize them, respect them, love them, serve them. Now notice that the word work here is used, work. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. That's another word for work. You see, another word that can be interchangeable for that is toiling. Paul is saying that it's toiling and it's it's labor-intensive, the role of an elder, the role of a pastor. I think it's not unusual to think that the role of a pastor or an elder is not that hard. It's something that, you know, I've, I've actually heard this a, a couple times from different people. They've asked me kind of what does it mean to be a pastor because in their minds they've told me that isn't it more just like a long retreat? Aren't you kind of doing something like, is it kind of like a long revival where you can kind of just, sit in circle kumbaya and just kind of sing songs and just kind of enjoy things. You know, the audacity of those people, right? I mean, how it's crazy. But what it really means, Paul is trying to point out that when elders are called into ministry, that when pa pastors are called to work within the church, it is work. It is labor-intensive. 
it is toiling. Because these elders who are called in and who are working well, they are all in on their congregation. There is no nine-to-five switch. They are on call 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. That's their calling and what they're supposed to be doing. You see, it's not just simply a choice that is given to them. It's called, you're called into ministry because it's that difficult. It should be that difficult. And so what Paul is pointing out here, that if you are toiling, if you are laboring, that is what it means to be an elder. And yet at the same time, if you are not breaking a sweat, if you are not breaking your back, if you are not breaking your heart in terms of how you're caring for your, caring for your church and how you're caring for your members, then you are not meant to be an elder. You are not meant to be a pastor. And so care for those congregation members well. In Philippians, in Ephesians, in Galatians, Paul uses the word toiling. He says laboring. He relates it to an athlete who goes out to strive for a, a huge goal. He says the work that he puts in, the blood, sweat, and tears, that is labor-intensive. And he says in the same way for a pastor and for an elder, it is labor-intensive, the amount of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual toil that is meant to be put into ministry. Look, we know that when it comes to anyone who is a Christian, you are open to spiritual attacks. But I also want you to know that when it comes to leaders within the church, Satan will do everything possible to spiritually attack them. Because he knows, the enemy knows, that if the leader falls, many more people will fall after him. Being in ministry is labor-intensive. It's toiling. It's work. This word signifies that elder is both difficult and carried over for a long period of time. And at the end of the day, what we also know is that the work of an elder is subject to the ultimate examination. That at the end of the day, our final judge is not you, is not the head pastor, is not some other kind of entity. It's when we die and we go to heaven and we stand before the Lord. He's going to ask us for an account of our lives. And he's going to ask us, how did you care for the flock that I have entrusted you? And I'm the only person that I have to give account for is to the Lord. And I have to answer him in that moment. You see, for elders, of all the intensive work here, yes, that's difficult. But our final examination, our final calling, the final question that we're going to be asked is when we die and go to heaven. It's the elder who will have to answer that call. It's the elder who has to work in that way. And so the call for the church now, the call for you guys, what Paul is saying is that if that is the work for an elder, if that is the work that is called for the pastor, your job, the thing that you are called to do, is to honor them, respect them, recognize them, recognize those who have poured out, Recognize those who are giving of their lives. Recognize those who are willing to serve and to love you. Just honor them. Now, 
Maybe the question you have is, what does it really mean to honor them? I think there's a lot of different ways that you can honor your elder. There's a lot of different ways that you can give to them. You can give of your time. You can continue to serve in which way. You, can, you have your giftings that you can give to them as well. And yet I think it's impossible to separate what Paul is saying about honoring them with what it comes about, with what Paul talks about money as well. That when Paul is talking about honoring your elders, he's also talking about making sure that they are provided for financially. Because Paul says right after in verse 18, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. You see, you can honor your elder in a lot of different ways, but Paul specifically makes sure, and he points out here, look, make sure that your elders and that your pastors are provided for. Make sure that they're able to rest easy and providing for their family and making sure that they're able to put food on the table so that they can put their all into serving and to giving into the calling that I have given them. So make sure that they are provided in this way. And so he says here, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out on the grain. What does that mean, right? All, he's talking all these practical steps, and all of a sudden he talks about grain and oxen and farming. Like, what's up, God? Well, I'm going to tell you, in the book of Deuteronomy, he talks about this. And he says all these different laws. And one of the laws that he points out for the people specifically is, look, do not muzzle your oxen when it treads on the grain. Now, why would God place that law there? It's a strange one, right? It's because people back then, as they were farming, what they would do is that they would have oxen who would, during harvest, start to plow the land and start to gather the harvest. And yet these oxen, how they would eat, how they would survive, is that they would eat the grain that was on the ground while they were going forward. It was just a way that they could survive. It was a way that they could be filled so that they could continue on in the harvest. And yet what people ended up doing was they would see what would happen and they would say, okay, the, the grain that the oxen are eating, I could actually use that to sell more. I, I could use that to, to provide more money for myself, to, to let me buy some more things. And so they would muzzle the oxen so that they, in their greed, could use that grain for something else. And God is saying, look, do not muzzle those oxen because what's going to end up happening is going to hurt you because if the oxen are weak, it's not going to pull as hard. And if it's not pulling as hard, then the harvest is not going to be fulfilled. And so take care of your oxen. And so Paul is using the same principle here that look, you have called your elder, your pastor to serve you. That's a good calling. We are called to pour out everything. And yet, don't be greedy in that. Care for them. Because if your elder, if your pastor is being cared for, if they are filled in every way, emotionally, financially, spiritually, mentally, then the harvest will be more. You and I will both flourish from that. We will both grow. And so God is saying, Paul is saying here, that if God cares about the oxen, how much more does he care about his own workers that he has called into your life? So that's what it means to honor your elders. Secondly, Paul says that we should protect our elders. 
Verse 19 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You see, a biblical commentator once said, Every fool has an arrow to shoot at a faithful preacher. It doesn't matter how outstanding they are. It doesn't matter how great their character is. It doesn't matter how long they've been doing things. At the end of the day, every single person can fling an accusation at any pastor, no matter how faithful he has been to God. And so what Paul is saying here and what he's telling Timothy is, look, at the end of the day, do not admit a charge against an elder. That word admit, It means to entertain or consider in your mind. In other ways, what Paul is saying is, look, Timothy, when an accusation comes against one of you, when an accusation comes against an elder or a pastor, the very best thing that you can do, the number one method that you can stop these things is to simply ignore it. Just ignore it. Don't listen to it. The moment you hear a rumor, the moment you hear gossip, The moment you hear accusation, ignore it. That is the best way that you can protect your pastor. The enemy, the world, people will do anything and everything to discredit a ministry through gossip and deceit. Paul points this out because what we know is that the effectiveness of a pastor is directly correlated to his character and his integrity. My reputation, as I stand before you, is of paramount importance. I'm not saying that my reputation is everything. What I'm saying is that I know for a fact that you listening to me, that you being able to digest what I'm saying is connected to my character and to my integrity and to my reputation. I guarantee you that if you believe that I was a hypocrite, that if I was somebody who was not of good report, that I was somebody who was not of good reputation, that it would be very difficult, nigh impossible for you to hear what I'm saying today. And so the Bible is saying, and Paul is being practical in this step, that a calling for a minister is to preach and teach the word, and your calling as a congregation is to protect your minister so that you can hear the word well, so that you can grow spiritually. Because if you're not hearing my words, no matter how powerful they are, no matter how convicting they are, they're going to fall on deaf ears. So protect your elders, protect your pastors. Look, gossip and rumors and false accusations, they will end up killing the ministry that the servant of God is there to uphold. And so the best thing that you can do is just to simply not partake in it. That's how you protect an elder. And yet on the flip side, Paul continues on in this verse. And he says that, look, if these allegations end up being true, if these rumors and and gossip and and multiple people keep on coming and they they say things and, and these people you trust end up saying multiple things, about this person and and multiple witnesses come in, then you know what? You should go before the leadership. You should bring this up and you should keep this pastor, this elder accountable. This is how you can protect them. But it's only in those times when accusations should be brought up. 
is not when baseless, groundless rumors or accusations come in. No, it's when multiple witnesses that you trust say the same thing and come before you, and then you move to the leadership and you talk to them privately. You see, the way that you protect your elders is not to turn a blind eye to a blatant sin in their life. He's saying, look, you need to bring it up to the elder only if these accusations come in multiple ways with multiple witnesses that you trust. And then the next step, and this is interesting, the next step is that after you talk to the leadership privately, the leadership themselves should proclaim it to the congregation publicly. He says, look, that it is right and good to publicly share with the congregation that the elder has committed this type of sin so that the elder can be an example to others. Paul's line of logic here is that if an elder is called to be a model or an example of righteous living and of godly character, that in the same way, he should also be an example of discipline and correction to the congregation. That it has to come both ways. That if you're to give double honor to elders, that if you're supposed to respect and submit to their authority because you believe that they are speaking from the word of God, that at the same time when they commit a sin so grievous that they have to step down, they are called to publicly proclaim, pro- proclaim that to the congregation to show an example of what it means to be a correct and what it means to have correction and discipline within the church. Now, the reason why is really simple. The reason why you should public, publicly proclaim it is very simple. is because there is not a single person, there is not a single pastor, and there is not a single elder who is above the word of God. That at the end of the day, we do not submit to a single person. We do not submit to a single individual. We do not submit to a single pastor. Who we submit to is God. And so there is not a single person who we will say, okay, we're going to hide this. We're going to sweep this under the rug. We're going to move in a different way, and we're going to protect you because you are too valuable for us to do that. No, not a single person is able to do that. Now, I don't want you guys to misunderstand me when I'm saying this. We're talking about grievous sins that make the elder step down from his position. In other words, if you see me driving down one one day and, and I'm going five miles over the speed limit, right? You can't come in the next week and publicly proclaim that I'm a sinner and that I need a sin. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. Don't, don't do that. What we're talking about are sins so bad that at the end of the day, they need to step down. And so therefore, instead of the church, instead of the leadership kind of hiding away and just having that person step down individually without saying anything to the congregation, Paul says, use this moment as a way to correct, as a way to teach, as a way to rebuke your congregation. Let them see, let them see that God is the head of this church. Not this leader, not this other person. God is the head. This is how you can protect your elders. And lastly, how do you select them? How do you choose your elders? Look, if, if, a, if eldership is this important, if being an elder has this much honor and yet at the same time this much accountability, if, there's, if, if the stakes are this high for an elder, aren't we called to choose them wisely? 
How should we choose them? Isn't it of such importance that we choose them right? Paul agrees with that. And he just really says one thing about it and how to choose your elders. In verse 22, he says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. In other words, take your time in choosing elders. Take your time in choosing pastors. Take your time in choosing your leaders. Do not be hasty. Do not rush to choose someone. Churches should be careful of this because at the end of verse 22, it says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In other words, if the church is the one that hurries up and chooses somebody who is unfit and unsuited to the job of being an elder, then it is also the church's responsibility when that pastor, when that elder fails. That you have also, you have also been a part of that sin. So you have to be careful. Now, if you have taken the time, if the church has taken the time to really vet the person, to really pray over them, to, to take their time, and yet that person, that man ends up sitting later, that's not on the congregation. That's between him and God. But he's saying, Paul is saying here, do not be hasty in choosing your elders. Take your time. And the reason why is because one of the main qualifications for elders is spiritual maturity. And here's the thing, spiritual maturity, the main and greatest judge for spiritual maturity is time. It's not going to be in their words. It's not going to be in even their actions. It's going to be in time. Because you see, spiritual maturity is only when you can see their circumstances. It is only when you can see how they act when they're disappointed, how they act when they're upset, how they act when they're in despair. Everyone in the beginning can do well. Everyone in the beginning has passion. Everyone in the beginning is able to do everything well. But the question is, over time, how are they? If we take setting up elders seriously, if we think setting up a leader is serious because we are willing to submit to them, because we are willing to love them, because we are willing to care about them, if we are willing to submit to their discipline and to their correction, then this should be of the paramount importance that, of course, we need to see their character, we need to see their integrity, we need to see how they are, and that's not going to happen after the first time we meet them. Of course not. I don't know if you, how many of you guys go on first dates, but if you guys go on first dates, right, I enjoy first dates. I do. Because they're perfect. The girl's perfect. I'm perfect. Everything's perfect. But guess what? Over time, what happens? You begin to see who they really are. I begin to be shown for who I really am. And things end up either growing or falling apart. Most times it falls apart, right? <laughs> Look, if we're willing to put that type of care that if we're not willing to marry a person after the first date, then how much more so should we be careful about how we choose our leaders who we're willing to submit to, who we're willing to say, hey, I want you to preach and teach into my life, that the way that my life is going, if you need to correct me, I'm going to listen, I'm going to submit to you because I believe in what the Bible says that you have been placed over my life for a reason to preach and teach the word of God to me. Whether that means encouragement and whether that means rebuke, I'm going to listen to you. 
And so if that's true for you, then of course we need to take our time, we need to see their character, and we need to see if they're spiritually mature. I'm saying this to you guys for a reason. Because when it comes to building up a church, in the beginning, yes, you, you ask pastors from outside, you ask for elders maybe from the outside, but the Bible is clear that as you begin to grow your church, the elders should come from within. That we should be growing faithful men of God to be raised up within this church, to grow to become members, to grow to become deacons, and one day to be elders. That is the goal of the church. And so for you as well, as you begin to think about membership within the church, as you begin to think about your relationship with God and how important that is, I hope that you would think about eldership as well. What does it really mean to be a leader within the church? Am I prepared? Do I know the stakes for what that means for my life? Am I willing to invest? Am I willing to move forward? Am I willing to pray for new leaders within this church to rise up, for men to really rise up and to take hold of the vision and the direction of where we want to go as a church, as a community, as Shining Star Community Church. You see, our English ministry is, is starting this new chapter, right? And we're growing in a way, and, and God has blessed us so abundantly. We're beginning to prepare for our new vision center. We're beginning to grow in meaningful membership. We're beginning deacons and elders and new leaders, and we are so excited for it. But my main request to you guys, as I have been convicted, as I've read this passage, is to do one simple thing. As we pour out to you, would you pour back into us? That would you pour into our leadership? Would you pour into our elders? Would you pour into our pastors? Would you care for us? That as we work, as we labor in love towards you, it is a privilege, once and again, it is a privilege to serve you. I don't take anything away from that. I am so thankful to be able to preach the word of God, to be able to teach you, and to be able to do these things for you. And at the same time, Paul is saying, look, care for them as well. Care for your pastors. Grow them, love them, serve them. So that as your pastor is filled, they can pour out even more to you. But more than that, I hope you guys remember that the church, our church, is not led by one person. Our church is not led by one pastor. Our church is not led by one elder. Our church is led by God. And so the main thing that we can do is simply trust upon the Lord for all that he has done, for all that he is doing, and all that he will do. Because we believe that in this new chapter, God is going to do so much. He is going to bless our church in ways that we can't even imagine. And so the main thing that we can do is simply lean upon the Lord, say, God, yes and amen. I am simply going to pray to you. I will trust in you. And Lord, would you direct our elders, our pastors in the vision that you have desired for us from the beginning? Amen? Yeah, so let's just pray all together now.